0: Welcome to Your Best Writing Life. I'm your host, Linda Goldfarb. Each week, you'll receive tips and strategies from experts in the writing and publishing industry to help boost your best writing life. Let's get started. It's great to have all of you here today. And we're going to be looking at, do writers need sensitivity readers? Oh, I tell you what, today's industry expert, Edwina Perkins, is shining a light on sensitivity readers, and you don't want to miss a moment. Let me tell you just a little bit about Edwina. She is an award winning writer, experienced teacher, speaker, and editor. She serves on the Word Weavers International Advisory Committee. Currently, she is the acquisitions editor for the Harumbe Press. Iron Stream Media's Ethnic Voices imprint, which seeks to publish ethnic writers and their stories. She's the mentoring coordinator for the Blue Ridge Mountains Christian Writers Conference, and Edwina is also a freelance writer with Guidepost. Edwina, welcome, welcome to your best writing life. I am so excited to be here, and more than that, I am excited about our topic today. I tell you, this is a great topic. When I had asked you to be on the program, and what did you think you could speak on? What's a topic that's near and dear to your heart? And you came back with, you know, I'd really like to cover the area of sensitivity readers. I was very intrigued, and I was like, I need to know more about this. If I need to know more about this, I'm thinking other writers in the industry need to know about this subject. So, we're going to go there. But before we do, I always like to just take a moment for us to kind of take a quick look at the inside life of our industry expert. So, I'm really looking forward to what you're going to be sharing with us today, something about you, Edwina, that maybe not everyone knows yet. So, go for it.
1: I love this story because, like you said, Not everyone knows it. And when I tell it, they look at me like, wait, what? So I'll start with me. I am a twin. I have a twin brother. Uh, And the interesting thing about that is we have children born on the same day, two years apart. So his firstborn and my firstborn were born on the same day. But not only that, I gave birth to twins. So we have twin boys, Anderson and Austin. And when I asked my dad, when I was pregnant, I said, okay, I know twins run in the family. Where are we with this twin thing? And he said, well, and he started counting out loud and I'm ticking off my fingers. He said, okay, so your twins are the seventh set in the family. Wow. And my husband said, Well, the amazing thing is, you didn't get pregnant with twins first. So now that those twins are adults, one of them started dating a young lady. And he kind of grinned when he told me about her. He said, Mom, she's a twin. I was like, No way. Oh, so cool. then he comes back because, uh, you know, I always like to know when somebody's birthday is. And uh, so when I said, When's her birthday? he chuckled and he said, the day before mine. So she has a twin sister. So I have a twin who married a twin who are the seventh set of twins in our family. I am the sixth set. And I have looked at our oldest, who's a girl and she's not married yet. And I just shake my head and I go, I hope you never only want one.
0: <laughs> Cause I told her she's destined to have twins. Right. What is that song? Chances are, oh yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hers are rather high. Whoa! Well, that is. I love learning that about you, Edwina. And I would love to have twins in my family. And I know that I we have the history of twins in our family. And my youngest son just married his beautiful bride, and they have twins in their family. So who Uh-oh. knows maybe we'll have an announcement of twins coming at some point but That's right. <laughs> what what a joy. I can't imagine having two at one time or three or uh, others that have had multiples but what a fun legacy to have in a family. It would make me smile too if if I heard guess what, we're having twins. So <laughs> Thank you, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to just kind of step right inside your life for just a moment. Of course. Now what we're going to do is we're going to go on to the content. And today we're looking at, do writers need sensitivity readers? So the obvious question is, what is a sensitivity reader? And what do they do? Well, I'm going to give you a little background when it comes to sensitivity
1: readers. Uh, Because we have to look at, I'm going to say the children's industry first. I love what Katie Waldman, I quote her. She said, as a push for diversity in fiction reshapes the publishing landscape, the emergence of sensitivity readers seems almost inevitable. Now, here's what we need to know. As our nation continues to grow in ethnic diversity, so do our children. Statistics show, as of the start of school this year, 50% of children aged 10 and under come from multi-ethnic families. Think about that. 50%, 10 and under, come from multi-ethnic families. But according to the diversity in children's books, in 2018, less than 25% of children's books depict characters from a diverse background. Compared to 27% depict animals and 50% depict whites. So there's a large imbalance here. And this can be contributed to the fact that overwhelmingly writing is done by white authors. And the publishing industry as well is mainly a white industry. Now, there has been an increase in the number of African American characters in children's books from 6% in 2008 to 11% in 2019. And the question is writers often follow the common advice to write what they know, so is that okay? And when you realize gatekeepers tend to green light projects that tell stories about people like themselves, and you still ask the question is that okay? What I want you to understand. And the reason I gave you this background is as these children come up and they're in school and they're exposed to books, more and more, they're going to want to see people like themselves. They're going to want to know where these characters came from. So when it comes to sensitivity reading and it's being thrown around and people are like, what is that? It's not new, Linda. There are two main industries that have used sensitivity readers. And when I say the first one, you're going kind to of probably go, ah, yes, Sesame Street. Oh, because, exactly. Okay. Because okay. they regularly employed people to make sure that they're addressing troubled issues in proper fashion. Mm. Um, the other one, and this mainly will be for girls, it's a book called The Babysitter's Club. And because they dealt with sensitive issues, They had readers again to make sure that they were addressing troubling issues in proper fashion. So it's not a new term or a new existence. It's just resurfacing because of where we are in the publishing industry and where we are in
0: the world. Absolutely.
1: So now I will answer your question What is a sensitivity reader? Well, sometimes in order to answer what something is, You have to say what they're not. Okay. So a sensitivity reader is not police of free speech. They're not intended to censor. They're readers who review manuscripts. Notice I said review for issues of bias, issues of misrepresentation, cultural inadequacies, insensitive language, and they'll make suggestions to the author. So when you hire someone, and we'll talk about how you do that later, you need to realize they're not out to chop your work to pieces. What they're doing is they're trying to help your message reach multiple audiences. And if you've done anything to offend or misrepresent an audience, you're going to lose readers. So that's one of the things you need to realize is they're not out to police your work, or they're not intended to be censors. Their job, though, is to help non-ethnic authors avoid portraying ethnic characters in a way that feels inauthentic or uninformed.
0: Did mm. you get that? I did. And I, and I think that that is necessary today mm-hmm. because we can move so quickly with an idea, with a thought. We can be so involved in our own project and though our motives are pure, I'll use that word, mm-hmm. Yes, they can still come across in a way that is offensive. And I understand that, you know, we have our right to say what we want to say, to write what we want to write and all of that. But if you're looking at having someone purchase it, read right. it, utilize it with their children, have it in their family, then you want to make sure that it's kind of like what, when I work with my speaking clients, I go, you want to be remembered for your message, not your mistakes. And exactly. we can both, voc- right. We can vocally say something and go, Ooh, that's not what I meant and I can explain to you that's not what I meant. But if it's in writing, and it's on the page, and it's interpreted by the reader in an offensive way, or it's like, oh, wow, I don't think I could move any further in this mm-hmm. reading, then what can happen is they will, by their own predetermination, they'll say, yeah, this isn't a good book. I can't I can't recommend this. And they can't go directly to the Author and say, is this what you meant? Right. And and even saying perception is real, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying I have to remove every anything that may offend anybody out there. Mm -hmm. Because I can offend people just by walking into a room. (laughs) Yes. Um, But it doesn't mean I'm not to walk into a room. I like the word, it's to be sensitive Mm -hmm. to how it may come across to someone else. And you and I talked before about the different personalities that a personality may say, well, this other personality, this other person, they're like this. And the reason they are is because they do this. This is what they do. And you're going, wait a minute, that's not at all who I am. Mm -hmm. And you know, you shouldn't be judging my personality based on your lack of understanding. If if that makes any sense, right? Oh, that makes totally sense. Because with a sensitivity reader,
1: what they really are, they're one line of defense against a writer's tone deaf or unthinking Mm. mistakes. So Mm. they're there to help. Uh, To give you an example of when a sensitivity reader was overlooked, in 2015, there were two books published about happy slaves making dessert for their owners. Think about that. These slaves were happy to be making a dessert for their owners, and there were readers who were furious. If there had been a sensitivity reader, a person of color, they would have pointed out no slave, because they are being owned, will probably be happy about making the person who owns them a treat. They weren't given the option. It was part of what they had to do. Both of these stories got a lot of press, but not the kind that the publishers wanted. And the publishers got scared. So now the industry is trying to figure out how to change and how to reach out and find sensitivity readers to start reviewing books with cultural diversity in them.
0: The sensitivity readers are for writers of every ethnicity. Absolutely. It's not just like a white writer. You need a sensitivity reader. It can be everybody, everybody and anybody. Yes. Anything
1: that is outside of your cultural experience Mm. is most likely going to require a sensitivity reader. Mm. If I am writing about someone who has a mental illness Mm. and I don't have a lot or any experience in that area, okay, then I have to do my homework. And I have to find someone who is dealing with what I'm writing about. If you are writing anything outside of your culture and your life experiences, it's not just culture, your life experiences, then you need someone to read through your work. You need a sensitivity reader. So it's not a black-white issue. It's not a skin issue. It's anything outside of your norm issue. Mm requires sensitivity. Because if you're going to write about a marginalized community, which is a community that is outside of you, and you've not experienced what you're writing about, then you need help. Or you risk, you risk offending an entire culture. And not intentionally, but it can happen. Because words have power. We know that. And when you put words out there that are inaccurate, Someone is going to see it as truth. And that's a whole lot of cleaning up that has to be done if that happens.
0: Now, you're not talking about, and I'll use this phrase, a dumbing down. No. Okay. If, no if you can address that just now. a little bit here as far as, okay, so i am am I not allowed to say this? Because, you know, you you touched on the beginning. This isn't a censoring. This We're not going to censor. We don't want to censor the writer. Right. Um, But some people can they may still have that in their head. Well, but isn't that what you're saying? No. No. Do you have do you have an example of maybe something that And and I know that you use the one with the title? You know, happy slaves love doing Mm -hmm. this. What would they change? I mean, would it be you know what? I don't think that should be published at all or actually what what would we do? With
1: something like that, if a person has done their research and they understand the harshness and brutality of slavery, and they understand, yes, there may have been, and I'm saying in quotes, good masters, but overall, it's the oppression of an entire group of people Mm -hmm. Then you most likely would not write about how happy they are to make a a dessert or a birthday cake for the oppressor. So in this situation, I think, yeah, you pull it. Um, And there are times that that's going to happen. But there are other times that something can be done to correct what you've said or written. And the minute you start talking, I start thinking about this book where I... I normally do not check to see if the author is a person of color or from the dominant race. I just pick books because I'm interested in what they are and what they have to say. So I'm reading this book that deals with modern day social issues. And the reader takes me into a beauty shop. Now, I started grinning because I thought, "Uh uh-huh, let's see if they get it right. Mm. She nailed it. The conversations, what's happening in the shop, the action, and I immediately said, "Uh huh, she's a person of color because only a person of color will be able to do this." I finished that book, which, by the way, was excellent. Turned it over, read about the author, and found out she was white. Mm. That's but somebody who done did her, her homework. homework. There she it did is. Her homework, and then mm. I started seeing who she was thinking. And some of the the editors and people who helped her with the book were people of color. And I thought, she did her homework. And that's what it's about. We're not trying to censor. We're trying to make your message accurate. We want you to get your message out. And I've said this to writers before. If they can't get past a mistake that you unknowingly made, they will get your
0: message. Well, not only will they not get your message, they will share with others that it's not worth reading. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's even, it's similar to when you write a fiction story about a real location and those that live in that location are like, oh, it's about this part of the world where I live. And you start sharing in there and you're making up things that would never even have occurred in that area. Right. Those people are going to go, well, that." I know it's fiction, but come on, you could have been, you could have had some realism in here for those of us that actually live here, you know?
1: Exactly. And so that's where the writer has to be careful. And it's what I call their um, Cinderella syndrome, because unfortunately, sometimes when you're writing about a different culture, you're writing how you wish it would be, not how it accurately is. And so if you struggle with the thought of conflict among races, and you're writing that everything is just wonderful, and everybody got along, and everybody apologized, that's Cinderella. Mm. Uh, But yet, you're trying to write to engage multiple cultures. So I said, you know what, this is hard. And you need to deal with it in an accurate way. There's another book that was written that deals with a young black boy who was shot by police. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some of the readers who are listening are going to know what this book is because this young girl is caught up between two cultures. She goes to a predominantly white school and her friends there are saying, well, you know, the police was in the right. And yet when she goes home to her family, they're saying, you were there, you know, the police was in the wrong. And it was hard stuff. But yet, now this was a black writer, but she nailed it. You know what's really sad? It's almost what happened over 100 days ago with the man who was killed. Mm. That has started everything going on. I thought if she had known, she was writing the future. Mm. So that's what I'm saying. So the same with people of color. If you're writing outside of your culture, do your homework. That that's gonna be my phrase for this. Do your homework. We're writers. We research. Research, research, research so that you are accurately portraying people outside of who you are used to being around. Truth. Truth.
0: So are sensitivity readers editors? Are they someone who's gonna come in and change up what you do, what you're writing? Okay. And that's what you need to understand. They're not editors. Um, when
1: I am being a sensitivity reader for a book, now there are some things that I'll comment to the writer and go, Oh, you got a little tense problem going on here. But for the most part, I'm reading for content and your sensitivity readers are reading for content. They are someone who specializes in a specific niche. That's so key. They specialize in a specific niche because you can't ask one African-American person to be a sensitivity reader for everything that has an ethnic person in it. Mm. It's not realistic. So what is their specific niche? I, for one, grew up in the country. My grandmother owned a little country store. I came from parents who were farmers. But if someone approached me and asked me to be a sensitivity reader for a young girl who grew up on the streets of New York, had a hard life, And now she's trying to make something of herself. I'm not going to be your best pick. There are some things I would catch, but in the city, I don't know city life like that. I didn't grow up on the streets. Um, I am not your sensitivity reader. And it is anything that, like I said earlier, it has to be in their niche. Um, So they're not editors, they read your writing bias, stereotypes, offensiveness, lack of understanding. And I'm going to stop there a second because a lot of times that's what it is. It's a lack of understanding. Right. Um, And here's the other thing. They create a report for the client outlining their thoughts. So an editor may just say, change this word or do that. A sensitivity reader is going to say, I'm not sure this works and this is why. So see, these are some of the things you need to look for when you hire a sensitivity reader. Are they going to help you understand why what you said doesn't work? Um, This sometimes may be a problem. And so they're offering solutions to what they see as a potential problem. And
0: you had mentioned, and I don't know if it was when we were talking off air or while we were on, this deals with every type of writing. You could be writing about the Amish cultures, uh, culture, you know, you're going to need someone who lives in that to make sure that what you're saying is, is accurate and won't come across in any offensive way, or that's just not, not how it is. I, and I like that they're not being an editor, what they're doing is they're offering, you might want to consider this. Exactly. This would be, this would be more realistic or i would be more comfortable with this in opposed to you're a really bad person and you know and and it's not someone that's going to rail up against you which actually brings us to another question where do we find a sensitivity reader is, do you get like a certification as a sensitivity reader? Or, you know, oh. what, what, what do I do if I say, well, I think I have a piece that may come across, which I actually have one that could come across in, in that way. Where would I find a sensitivity reader?
1: First, I'm going to say, look in your own backyard, um, okay. which means depending on what you're writing about, are there people in your life? who can speak to the culture that you're writing about. Um, Go to Google. Now, here's the problem with that. You're going to be working with a total stranger. That can also be a good thing because they don't know you. They're only going to know you through your writing. But remember, I said you need to look for someone who is in a way going to help educate you because a sensitivity reader, their work actually also takes place off the page. What I mean by that is what they're trying to do is to help you recognize blind spots, not only in your work, but in the way you move through and process the world. Uh, So when it comes to sensitivity readers, look in your own backyard. Is there anybody that you know? Ask other writers. Um, That's also, you know, it's key. You ask around, have you ever used a sensitivity reader? How did it work for you? Um, Then go to Google. This is a trial and error process. But you also need to understand that sensitivity readers are paid. They're not beta readers. They're paid for their services to help you. So don't just ask someone to be a sensitivity reader for free. And a lot of times online, because I've checked out some of them just to get an idea, uh, they'll have their prices for you. It's almost like an interview. Ask them to tell you some books that they've read through, if they can, that they've been sensitivity readers for. Um, you know, you're interviewing to hire them to help you with your work.
0: Right, and you can you can ask for you know, can I have some referrals? Exactly. So and interview them. Sure. That's very and good. And make sure
1: that they have the niche that you're looking mm. for. If you're writing historical fiction and it's about slavery, what qualifies them to be a sensitivity reader for you in the area of slavery? So do,
0: what's the phrase I've been saying all day? Do, do your, your homework. homework. There it is. I love it. All right. And then here's here's our final question. Okay. What if I'm going to self-publish a book? do I need a sensitivity reader? Absolutely. I mean, I kind of think I know the answer to this one, but <laughs> it's like some people saying, well, if I self-publish, you know, I've already edited and it should be really, really good to go. And you do, we all, right. we
1: can't escape it. If you're writing outside of our culture, you can't escape it. You need a sensitivity writer. And you know, there, there is a difference between books that are intentionally challenging or offensive and those which were written by authors who may have been unaware that they were causing an offense. But here's the thing you also need to understand, self-publishing or not, being a sensitive to have someone do sensitivity reading for you, they don't have to have the whole manuscript. Mm. You can say, "I need you to look at my characters on page 30 to 35." Um, it's great to send the whole manuscript just so that your sensitivity reader gets an idea where they could read a few pages before or after, but you can be very specific on what you're asking them to look at.
0: Because there may just be some aspects of your of your manuscript, not the not the whole thing. Exactly. But going for that accuracy, going for that realism, going for that that one extra step of providing excellence in your writing. Mm-hmm. We all can benefit from that every single one of us. I've enjoyed having you on. And I think this is a topic that is appropriate and, you know, not necessarily just for times such as this, but Mm -hmm. for us to understand that if we're going to put something down in writing, let's make sure we are remembered for our message and not our mistakes and how something can, you know, a word, a phrase, a concept can rub someone the wrong way. I think mm-hmm. that taking that extra step is a sign of professionalism yes. and well worth the, the dollar spent to make sure you're representing yourself in the best light, as well as the story and the writing that you're, you're putting out there. And people, as Edwina said, check the resource. Mm-hmm. If you're contemplating someone, check them out. I would go on Facebook. Are they on Facebook? What are they talking about on Facebook? What are they? I mean, you're the one that's hiring. So take a look at what's, it's like any employer does today. Take a look at the resources that are available out there to you. What are they discussing on a day to day? And sometimes we can, you may come across someone who has a bias and you have to be careful with that because that's what you're wanting to hold in check and i think we'll talk about that another time i i'd like to bring you back for us to do a talk on cross cultural writing and being really more specific in that area i think you're an excellent resource for this and i think it would be very beneficial i'd love to hear from our listeners if that is an area that they would like to learn more about so it's been great having you here. As I mentioned at the top, as a front end, folks, that Edwina is with Harambe Press. We have some new releases from Harambe that uh, we'd love for you to take a look at. We have uh, Sharon Norse Elliott's latest book is out there. It's called A Woman God Can Bless. Susan Burke has her book Escaping the Tiger's Claws, and that has a great backstory to the writing of this particular book by Susan Burke and then Joy Massenberg, A Heart Surrendered, A Heart Surrendered. I'll make sure that we have links to those in our show notes so that you'll be able to go and take a look at it. And for those that are not familiar, as, as we close this out, Edwina, What mm-hmm. what is Harambe? Harambe
1: is Swahili and it means a pulling together. Hmm. Sometimes people have Um, given the definition as a coming together. But that's different because people who just come together, they gather. But a Mm. pulling together is you're fighting against a resistance. Mm. And I love the name Harambe Press. I feel like God gave it to me because it means that in the publishing industry, we're all going to have to pull together to get diversity out there, to properly represent other cultures. So Harambe is a pulling together, which means it's going to take work, and it's going to take work on all of our parts to make this happen, and to represent the God we serve. Mm. If I could leave with one thought, authors, I want you to know you're only one person with one perspective. And a sensitivity reader says to you, we exist too, and we ought to exist on our
0: Terms. Excellent. You can find more about Edwina, E D W I N A, Perkins. She's on Facebook. I'll make sure you have links to where you can find her, talk to her, let her know your thoughts on today's episode. And it's something that we need to be really, for a better word, sensitive to, folks. If we're going to write, Let's make sure that we write well and have it received well. Thank you very much, Edwina, for being here with us today on Your Best Writing Life. Thank you for having me. And we'll have you back again. Thank you, my friends, for joining us. I look forward to being with you here the next time on Your Best Writing Life.